Before we jump into this week's episode, I want to tell you about a masterclass I'll be teaching on November 13th. This masterclass is all about overcoming airplane anxiety. And maybe for you, just the thought of getting on a dang airplane makes you feel incredibly anxious. Maybe it brings up feelings of, I can't even imagine being stuck and trapped on an airplane. What if I experience a ton of anxiety or the symptoms or a panic attack? Or what if I have a medical event? Or what if I get on the flight but I can't get back home? Or what if I have to go to the bathroom? Or what if I throw up? And the list goes on and on, right? Trust me, I get it. And then your brain throws at you all those past experiences of getting on an airplane and it's like, "Mm, don't do it, don't even think about it. So in this class, I'm going to teach you lots of simple and practical tips and tools that will actually help you to experience more peace and freedom about booking the flight, getting on the flight, and being far from home. So if you have an upcoming flight you're feeling really anxious about, or if you've really been wanting to book a flight but have been too anxious about doing it, this class is for you. Simply head to the link in the show notes to sign up, and if you sign up by October 27th, you'll get a really special discount. I hope to see you there. Welcome to a Healthy Push podcast. I'm Shannon Jackson, former anxiety sufferer turned adventure mom and anxiety recovery coach. I struggled with anxiety, panic disorder, and agoraphobia for 15 years. And now I help people to push past the stuff that I used to struggle with. Each week, I'll be sharing real and honest conversations along with actionable and practical steps that you can take to help you push past your anxious thoughts, the symptoms, panic, and fears. Welcome. You're right where you're meant to be. All right, today is a really good conversation I've been super looking forward to, and I know many people have been wanting me to have a conversation about this topic. So today I have a guest here with me, and we're going to chat about EMDR. And I know this is such a thing that so many people are curious about and have questions about, and she is going to bring so much clarity to this topic. So Elaine, welcome to A Healthy Push Podcast. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. I love getting to talk about EMDR, so I'm excited for this too. Yeah. So let's just start. Who are you? What do you do? Let's just start with who is Elaine? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I am a therapist in Phoenix, Arizona. I've been here for like the past 10 years, but grew up in the Seattle area. Um, and just kind of always knew I wanted to be a therapist. And so Went to um, undergrad out here in Phoenix and then grad school and just last year launched my own private practice um, in Phoenix. And so I work with adults who um, are navigating healing trauma, uh, issues coming up in their relationship that they're wanting to work on their individual part in um, or grief. And so those are kind of my, my specialty areas. Yeah, very cool. Much needed. And I'm super jealous that you're in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like Arizona is one of my true happy places. <laughs> mm-hmm. The weather just got nice. It was a long, hot summer. And I feel like just this week or last, it's it's become nice to be outside. Yeah. But yeah, I feel like anywhere you live, there's going to be a season, maybe unless you're in San Diego, but like anywhere there's going to be a season that you're going to be stuck inside and the weather's not great. And that happens to be our summers, but I definitely would take that over a lot of rain and cloud cover and long winters. So it works for me. I was going to say, (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. I was gonna say maybe my winters in Maine, you wouldn't you wouldn't switch like eight yeah. months of cold and just mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of snow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know, totally. And it could just be I'm not used to it yet. I had a couple friends though who went to Maine this summer, and it looks gorgeous. So. Yeah, yeah. Summer in Maine, there's nothing quite like it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's dive in. Can we just start with the most simple, basic, like what is EMDR? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization Reprocessing. And the gal who founded it, um, researched it, created it, I think in one of her books says, I wish I just called it reprocessing therapy because people can kind of get hung up on the language or that sounds wonky or, you know, what's with the eye movements. But essentially, as the story goes, um, she was walking through a park and thinking about something distressing and noticed that her eyes were moving back and forth. And when she went back to thinking about the distressing thing, she noticed it was less distressing. So then she became curious about like something about this eye movement is helping me to feel less upset. Um, And that, you know, spun her into a bunch of research. A lot of that um, early work with EMDR was with uh, veterans and those who were healing or recovering from PTSD war trauma. And so fast forward, um, basically what we're doing is we're stimulating both parts of the brain, both hemispheres, and something about that taps into the way that our brain uh, stores memory and emotional regulation. That process is disrupted when we have an overwhelming experience or a trauma. And so in therapy, using EMDR, whether it's with eye movements or with um, tapping side to side, or some people will have headphones that... um, have a sound going side to side, we're simulating a natural process in the brain to then do what we would call reconsolidate that memory. So that's sort of the um, broad picture of what's happening in the eye movements. Your therapist is either moving their fingers back and forth and you're following it with your eyes or more commonly now there's like a light bar that will have a light that you're watching across the screen. And a lot of therapists will use just like fuzzies that you hold in your hand that feels like a a cell phone buzz that vibrates side to side. So um, the eye movement part of it was how it was initially founded, but it's not the only way uh, to go about the protocol. And um, yeah, so the reprocessing part is really kind of what it's more about. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so fascinating. I know people, and I definitely had this thought, or I should say assumption, that when you're proposing doing EMDR with somebody, it's because you've experienced trauma. Mm. I'm curious, what mm-hmm. is EMDR actually used for? Because now I think people are hearing much more that it's being used for anxiety disorders, which is mm-hmm. very fascinating. So mm-hmm. it's you know, not just for trauma or like you said, PTSD. So how does it fit into treatment for anxiety disorders? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'll maybe like back it up a little bit and share what I'm thinking of when I'm saying the word trauma. I think a lot of people will think of that as like big life-threatening events um, abuse type of events and think, oh, I don't have any trauma because I never had those experiences. And trauma could be defined as anything that overwhelms our ability to cope. So that could be too much too soon. So that could be a big overwhelming circumstance. It could be, um, too much for too long. So not an intense situation, but 
um, higher stress for a long period of time or too little for too long, which is more of that neglect, right? Like maybe I wasn't um, verbally harmed by mom or dad, but maybe I didn't feel that I had their attention consistently over time. So there's the absence of something that could still be a trauma. So really anything could be traumatic for someone and it is based on each individual, their unique experience of the event. So you could have two siblings navigate the same experience in one uh, their brain encodes it as traumatic and the other doesn't. And so I think that's a helpful way to look at, you know, when we're doing EMDR, we are addressing trauma, but it's not what we would maybe typically just think of as trauma. Um, the theory behind EMDR is called AIP, Adaptive Information Processing Theory. Um, and that approach would propose that the pain that we experience in life right now is associated with the pain and experiences we've had in the past. And so if I'm anxious in the present, this theory would say that the way that I've been shaped and formed, especially in early attachment relationships, has taught me to um, sort of navigate the world in a particular way. And sometimes the way that I've learned to navigate it was with a lot of anxiety. And so you might take mm -hmm. like someone who is really high achieving, maybe sort of perfectionist, but they wouldn't call themselves that because they don't think that they're actually perfect, but, you know, just very um, attentive uh, or like a people pleaser, so very anxious around how other people feel with them and how that anxiety shows up is a lot of worry about, am I going to be good at this or what are people going to think of me or what if this happens? Um, and when we trace that back, that could be associated with early experiences that um, in your adult brain, you maybe wouldn't call traumatic, but at three years old or, you know, seventh grade or whatever, when you experienced it, it was a big overwhelming event that you didn't have enough resources in the way of supportive figures or information about how to digest the experience that then we learned, okay, the way to cope or deal with this circumstance is to be very attentive to how other people feel, to worry about their feelings first before mine, or the way to feel safe in life is to perform really well so no one can critique me and I belong and I'm you know, wanted, that kind of a thing. So sometimes with EMDR, yes, we, we are looking at anxiety, but we're going back to like, where did that strategy of anxiety get programmed in the nervous system, uh, which some people uh, struggle with calling trauma because they're hung up on, well, it doesn't really feel like it was that big of a deal. Yeah, I'm so glad that you said that because I think so many people struggle with that, right? That right. it wasn't, I didn't experience anything really bad, really traumatic. And mm -hmm. like you said, it can be even, I don't want to say just, right? Because I don't want to mm -hmm. minimize, but higher stress for a long period of time. Like mm -hmm. that, you know, that distress and being in that state for longer periods of time, that is, you know, traumatic. And so mm -hmm. I'm so glad that you went back to that and define that because I think it helps to understand, you know, I think for some people, right, the struggle is I don't want to go all the way back. I don't want to mm -hmm. go back to my childhood. I don't – or I don't think we have to go back there. And mm -hmm. – or maybe it's I've done that and I don't want to do that again. Um, but what you're saying, right, is we're really just revisiting these strategies that you maybe learned then that aren't so helpful now. And how can we how can we make a change to it? 
So mm-hmm. I think it's helpful to to think it's not necessarily like going back and digging up all the things, but what mm-hmm. isn't working now for you and why and, and helping to shift that. Is that – am I on the right path? <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, uh, I think any therapy is looking at what is bothering the client right now. And so yeah. – um, if something's not bothering someone, it's not important to look at, right? They might have had a very traumatic childhood, but if they're telling me, hey, I feel really at peace with that, I want to focus more present moment, then that's something that as a clinician, I think we need to honor um, because I believe the client knows themselves best. And when we do EMDR that a client isn't bought into, it often doesn't work because something inside is saying like this, I'm not sure what's going on, I don't feel safe. And in order for EMDR to do what it needs to do. The person needs to feel safe to step into what they're doing. So in that approach, sometimes, and with anxiety disorders, we might take a different approach and rather than going towards the past, um, or if all of that's been processed, we might look more towards the future. Like, okay, maybe I'm anxious um, about a public speaking event or something like that. And we can do EMDR, so the bilateral simulation, either eye movements or the buzzing or the headphones, and think about that future event. Imagine like you're watching it, you know, play out like an episode and notice what moment feels most upsetting. And then we focus on that moment and work to desensitize it. So when the bilateral stimulation is happening, it's helping our nervous system have the experience like we're experiencing it uh, and then recognize like, oh, I can handle this. It's not as upsetting as it was before. So that when we step into that experience, our brain has a template and feels as though we have actually already navigated that. Because when we imagine something, the same neurons that would be firing in our brain if we were actually doing that thing are firing even just in our imagination. And so EMDR can be used more in a future tense as well. That is so fascinating, the way that you just described that. I think people will really resonate with that because I think when you were talking, I'm thinking like driving anxiety. Like this is something so many people that I work with struggle with and it can Mm -hmm. really be used in that sense where it sounds kind of exposure-like. Yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. is there – it sounds like what you're doing is really trying to bring – bring light and attention to those feelings and allow you to process them. Is it similar? I mean, I know there are differences, but it sounds similar. Yeah, I would say it's similar. Like you're um, in EMDR therapy, trying to go towards that uncomfortable emotion um, and feel that distress, but not just like guns blazing with no support. When yeah. done well, Um, the client has a variety of different resources. So they feel like if that sensation got too much or too big, that they can ground and you're doing it in the presence of a therapist who can help to co-regulate. And so, yeah, it's like getting that exposure or actually getting to feel whatever feared emotion or sensation in that future situation in a context that's safe so that my body can now have um, what we would call a disconfirming experience of, okay, right now I'm worried about driving and, you know, this particular situation, maybe being in an intersection, turning left is like the height of my anxiety. But if I can imagine doing that, coping with it well and tolerating the distress, then I have a disconfirming experience in an imaginative sense 
that then helps me to go out and actually create that disconfirming experience that now I have to reckon with, well, there's sometimes I've been anxious, there's other times when it's gone okay, and now my brain has to make sense of that, which over time then can lead to feeling like I can handle this, even if it's not my preference. Like I can turn left, I can stay calm. Yeah. Yeah. That dang, when you said about being at a stoplight and turning left, I think so many people are probably thinking, yes. And how did she just come up with that? I'm sure it's because you've heard it, right? But it's that like, oh my gosh, being stuck and I can't just go. And yeah, that's so. So I'm curious, can you give some other examples? Because I think now that you're really describing this, it seems Mm -hmm. like EMDR is something that could work in so many different scenarios for for all different phobias. And primarily, Mm -hmm. of course, this community is panic disorder and agoraphobia. And so I'm just Mm -hmm. thinking, you know, what are some, if you can give some examples of like really, I don't want to say just successful, right? But you know, mm-hmm. successful ways that you've used EMDR with people who are struggling with phobias. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with um, fear of vomiting, that would be one where, okay, we want to look at first, like what's the first experience you've had with that and what was happening right before that event happened? Because in our brain, our brain is programmed like we were still, you know, fending for our lives every day. And so it's bent on safety. So whenever we have an upsetting experience, our brain is going to remember what happened right before that. And that becomes a trigger or a cue to alert us danger could happen next, even if it's not connected at all. And so um, like when a phobia develops with EMDR, we might look at how's the story of how this was created. You know, what were those early experiences? What happened right before that? Let's desensitize. Um, and process through what happened right before this event. And then we go through and process the memories. A lot of people have pretty clear memories of some of their most upsetting experiences with their phobias. And so in EMDR, you remember those moments and you desensitize them so that now when I think of them, it's still not my preference, I don't like it, but I don't have this like guttural, oh, like, you know, let's not talk anymore about it. Um, and so it becomes something, okay, I, now I can tolerate thinking about, even if it's not my preference. And then we look at what are the triggers. And a lot of times, like for, um, I think it's called a metaphobia, fear of vomiting. Um, yes, there, yes. Yeah. There's like an auditory trigger or, you know, sounds could be really activating or upsetting um, or certain physical sensations. And so we would send our attention towards noticing that sensation, be with that distress continue noticing that and through the process of EMDR we're allowing the body to desensitize it and I think with any of these things it's not really like we're getting to a point like wow I really love vomiting (laughs) but it becomes like okay not my preference but I can handle it and it's not intolerable like it used to be Mm -hmm. um and so you can target uh when I say target I'm just meaning like you're picking a specific trigger or memory to focus on in the EMDR session. So that could be past experiences, it could be present triggers, it could be um, aspects of the experience that connect to different um, sensory input, and then it could be future situations because a lot of times our phobias um, really are consuming when we're thinking about the thing happening and all of our life becomes wrapped around, you know, um, 
anticipating it or preventing it. And so doing more of that future work of like, okay, let's imagine coping with it well. Let's imagine not engaging in some of your reassurance behaviors um, and tolerating being in the space of I can't control the outcomes, but I can trust myself to handle this. So that would maybe be a little bit more flushed out of the protocol, um, especially if a particular phobia has been practiced for a really long time, the EMDR process might um, feel more like a winding road and take a bit of time, as opposed to if there's like a single event trauma that EMDR is focusing on. So yeah, does that answer your question? Oh my gosh, yes. And you using emetophobia as an example is so good because so many people in my community struggle with that one. And I just was thinking, right, this is, you shared that specific one, but it's like toilet anxiety, you know, driving is that I can put that into what you just described. So that was incredibly helpful. I am just thinking, right, with EMDR, with the more trauma-focused stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, of course, there are people who have experienced some very traumatic events and Mm -hmm. can really even tie it back to that specific traumatic event. Like, this all started with that event. And maybe it is PTSD or how does it look? Does it look similar with somebody who is coming to do EMDR specifically for I know, and I actually want to work through this trauma. Mm-hmm. Versus someone who's like, I don't think I have any trauma, but I just want to be relieved of this anxiety. Yeah. Or I, I've been, I've been there. I have sort of feel like I'm healed, like you said. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I need to visit that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Somebody who's like, no, I know this is something I've never really wanted to look at, but I, I feel like I should mm-hmm. at this point. Mm-hmm. I always feel really tender towards clients who are in that space of like, okay, you know, I know that there's this thing in my past and it was really impactful and I've spent so much effort not thinking about it or talking about it and maybe I've never shared it with anyone before and I'm so nervous or embarrassed or worried about sharing it. Like, I think that is, that's where I feel like they should be paying me. You know, this is such an honor to get to be, you know, witness to someone's like really significant uh, journey of growth. And so that like on the clinician side, it feels like such an honor to be trusted with that. And I think with clients who haven't yet done um, their trauma work, like maybe they have the awareness that that's there, but they haven't done it yet. It's very important to EMDR in that process to spend a lot of time on what we would call resourcing which is fostering uh, in the brain these senses of positive experiences and tools or strategies for regulating the nervous system so that that client feels really confident and supported and good about um, being able to step into that trauma processing. Because if we're going into it and feeling like I'm right back, you know, being 12 years old and I have no new resources to me or no new information, that can actually be a lot more harmful and where people feel like, oh, EMDR made things worse or uh, EMDR just Mm -hmm. didn't work for me. And so for a client who hasn't yet um, spent time processing their, their trauma, it becomes important that the clinician is very attuned to their sense of readiness, that feeling of safety. And I think any times we're going into trauma work, there's going to be you know, some gravity to that. So it's normal to feel 
anxious or just be aware of what might come up and that that's going to feel uncomfortable, but the client should feel very confident in the therapist's ability to hold that well um, and for their ability to kind of contain outside of session and not totally disrupt their life in between sessions. So that would be kind of the distinction. Whereas a client who's like, hey, here's my story. I've processed it. I'm in a healthy place with it, which I would assess a healthy place as having a neutral or helpful belief about yourself as a result of the trauma. Um, so rather than thinking, oh, it's my fault or I'm not enough, being in a place of I was a kid, I did the best I could, um, I'm okay now, I am enough, right? I can choose who to trust, I learned from that. Those are all more healthy thoughts or perceptions of ourselves. And so if someone's coming in with that, then we can kind of more quickly go directly to what's triggering today and focus on the present, what we would call an EMDR targets um, or triggers or focus more on future um, targets and templating. Yeah. Gosh, that was so helpful. <laughs> You're really good. <laughs> so I am curious. I know a lot of people feel really intimidated. And I think it's just because we haven't had enough conversations surrounding EMDR and what it really looks like and mm -hmm. what you might be able to expect. And I think you've really helped make it feel and seem less scary. But I think mm -hmm. it is because of that, like, I have to face some things and mm -hmm. that's part of this, right? But it's very nice to hear you say, you know, we make sure that you actually have tools, have that safety, feel like mm -hmm. you can approach this in a really healthy way. It's not just okay. we're going into this and it's, <laughs> mm -hmm. it's, it's a very safe and healthy approach. So mm -hmm. I know there are many people though who are like, okay, maybe – Okay, maybe it's sounding better, but it still sounds really overwhelming and scary. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you feel like can be helpful to somebody who's anxious about trying it or hesitant about trying it or maybe mm -hmm. has tried it and like didn't have a great, you know, first experience? What would you offer mm -hmm. that person? Yeah, totally. So I think um, it can be hard to be a therapist and you get out of grad school. And at least in my experience, I was given this very broad education of all the things, right? So I'm told in grad, coming out of grad school that I could work with couples, I could work with families, individuals of all ages and all diagnoses. And that's overwhelming. And so clinicians, as they grow, then do um, advanced education and specify. So sometimes what can happen is when you have a newer clinician, and this isn't true of all newer clinicians, this could be someone who's 10 years in as well, but sometimes someone will do a training and really latch on to a part of that modality. Um, and so sometimes when people have a bad experience with EMDR, it could be that that particular clinician either just wasn't a great fit or maybe was a little bit earlier on in their understanding of the modality, which um, isn't like a knock on that therapist. It might be information for them to kind of narrow in on what kind of client they do really good EMDR with and where it's not the best fit. So for, for folks who've had a bad experience, I would encourage them not to automatically make that mean about them that like I'm a bad client or EMDR just doesn't work for me, but to consider that there might be other elements going on there that made it not work in that time. Uh, but then the other thing I would suggest is a lot of times what I'll do with my clients, and this is especially true if we're going into one of those traumas that, that feels like a really big 
T, capital T trauma, um, is we'll start off doing EMDR on a memory that feels like on a scale of zero to 10 is like a four. So it's upsetting, but it's not like, you know, that eight or nine trauma that we're really wanting to address so that we can experience the process of EMDR, experience the relief of EMDR, so that we have an idea of what to expect when we get to the you know more intense memories or trauma work. And so that might mean like, okay, you know, I have some lingering feelings about an old job that I used to have and some conflict with a coworker maybe. But like right now, it's maybe upsetting if I let myself think about it, but it's not a really big deal to me. It's not totally like on my mind all the time. So doing EMDR on something like that, even if it's totally unrelated to the anxiety, the phobia, the trauma that I want to work on now, that can be a really great way to sort of dip your toes in the water and experience it uh, and then make an educated decision on do I want to do this with the other trauma or phobia or other um, treatment goals or was like, hey, that's an interesting experience and I'd rather do a different kind of therapy modality. So that would be one thing that I would recommend, um, which hopefully a clinician would be aware of and be the one leading and guiding that. But if someone's listening to this and thinking like, I did EMDR and it was way too overwhelming too quickly, being able to tell your therapist, hey, that was too overwhelming too quick. Can we dial it back and maybe um, adjust some things? Hopefully that's something that the therapist can then discern how to approach. But one other thing is with EMDR, it's one of those modalities that you can do an intensive on, meaning that rather than meeting for your typical 50-minute therapy hour, you're meeting for two hours or four hours. And so you're spending a longer session moving through a memory or an experience, which some people might hear that and think, oh my gosh, that sounds exhausting or like the worst day ever. But oftentimes you can actually move through material more quickly when you have a longer amount of time to stay with the processing. Um, and a lot of people can find that as a more supportive way to go about EMDR rather than kind of reopening and reclosing the event or the experience every week for however long. Yeah. Gosh, you just offered so much goodness in there. I think mm -hmm. right, it's so important to just to have that communication. Mm -hmm. What you know, if, what feels good, what doesn't feel good, and what feels mm -hmm. like too much. And it's sometimes hard <laughs> to mm -hmm. say that, but it's yeah. so important because I think some of these modalities, like you said, can be really helpful. But you're also a part in making sure it's helpful for you, mm -hmm. and you really know you best, and so. I, I always say, right, try it. Find somebody that specializes in it, somebody that, you know, has experience in it. Just try it. And you can just try, you know, one session. And it doesn't mean you're immediately jumping into it, but, you know, the therapist will work with you and really you can figure out a plan together for trying it. So I am so glad you shared so much goodness there. Is there anything you feel like you sort of want to clear up about EMDR? Anything else you want to say about it? Because I feel like I I can ask questions, but you mm -hmm. clearly, you know your stuff with EMDR and have been doing it for some time with clients. So, <laughs> Yeah. Um, gosh. Hmm. What would I want to clear up? I think um, – there's a lot of like energy and enthusiasm in EMDR therapists about the modality itself. And um, sometimes the maybe side effect of that is EMDR can 
therapist can feel like this is the only way to do therapy, you know, effectively mm. or efficiently. And while I can understand the enthusiasm and it is research supported, and when you see clients make big transformation in a short amount of time, it is something you want everybody to know about. And I would want the world to know that there are a variety of ways to heal and to process. And so if that's not EMDR for someone, that is okay. And if that's not a clinician's modality, I think that's also okay. Um, the one thing I think that I would like if I had a stage with all new therapists, I would tell them that you have to be trauma informed in whatever approach that you're doing. Um, because we do know that that's a significant way that, uh, we're shaped, but, um, I really, uh, drink the Kool-Aid if you will around EMDR, but I don't <laughs> use it in every session or with every client again, because I think there's some nuance into people's readiness or what they're looking for or needing in therapy. And so it's a great tool and asset to have, but it's certainly not the only way to go about things. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. If it were that easy, right? <laughs> I think we'd all be healed and walking around like everything's great. I got this. <laughs> but everything you shared, Elaine, has been so incredibly helpful. And I just know what you share the the knowledge, the tips, everything is so helpful. So if people are like, this has been great, I would love to learn more and I would love to connect with Elaine, where can people find you? Mm -hmm. So my practice is called Third Place Therapy, kind of with the idea that home is the first place, work is the second place, and the third place in your life is where you go to connect and exchange ideas. Um, so I'm on Instagram, Third Place Therapy, my website, thirdplacetherapy.com. I hope I you just, enjoyed this episode uh, of A Healthy Push. A free if you want more, head on over to ahealthypush.com uh, for the show notes and lots more tips, and tools, and inspiration that will support your recovery. And if you're hoping for me to cover a certain topic, be sure to join hey, the Instagram community at Push and let me know in the comments what you want to hear next. And I'm struggling to regulate myself to actually have productive conversation or communication, and I want to learn what I can do to show up different in that relationship. Um, it's 10 pages of like things that I guide clients through in session. And so my license limits me to only working in Arizona. So I can't work with folks who are outside of the state. But if someone wanted to access my content, that would be a free and easy way to really get a lot of the good stuff. And I think if someone used that guide and followed everything in it consistently, it would really transform a lot of relationships. It's trauma-informed and has a lot of practical tips too. So that can be found um, at the link in my bio or on my website, thirdplacetherapy.com slash click here. Um, yeah, and that's where I can be found. I love that. So good. Thank you so much, Elaine, for coming mm -hmm. on and sharing all of your wisdom. It's been amazing. Thanks. Well, thanks so much for having me, Shannon. I appreciate it.